like I said earlier, I mean, I like hearing about heaven too. Don't get me wrong. But we need to consider the realities of hell as well. Jesus did. Jesus talked about hell more than any other place in Scripture. Some people say, you know, he talked about hell more than heaven. That's actually not true. He talked about hell more than he did, than others did in the whole of Scripture. He talked a lot about hell. Let's just say that. Um, why did he do that? Why did he talk about hell? Because we need to know the reality of a soul and, and where they go without Christ. We need to understand it better. Um, you know, heaven helps us endure. That Our heavenly reward helps us run the race. It does. But the reality of hell helps us lose our lives for the sake of others. It, it makes us willing to be crucified like Jesus if we could rescue one soul by our death. That's why Paul could say, I, I consider my life nothing. Because he lived in the reality of souls and the needs around him and the, and the souls perishing around him. So I'm going to read some things. And some of it's out of a book that it's kind of an allegory. It's written by John Bunyan. John Bunyan, I always get that wrong. Hold on a second. Yeah. <clears throat> and all I can say, guys, is it's kind of like someone from hell coming or, or God taking us or an angel taking us, bringing us to hell and showing us what it's like. So that's kind of some of what I'm going to read you. And again, it's an allegory, so I don't want us to get the wrong idea. We do got to be careful of all these things we see on YouTube. I, I went to heaven, I was in hell, and all that. Um, you don't see that in Scripture. People going there and coming back and telling everything that... Paul obviously was caught up, but he said, the things I saw I can't even utter. But yet people are very free to share with you. So just, you got to be careful of that. So I share this as an allegory, and, and what I'll say is, it's backed up by Scripture, what is being said, okay? And I'll be sharing some scripture, Scriptures. So this is just the reality of someone who heard the gospel over and over and over and didn't respond, and now they're in hell, okay? So this guy, supposedly he's witnessing this scene in hell, and this is what the man is saying. It is forever. That is the hell of hell. Oh, cursed wretch. Cursed to all of eternity. How willfully I have undone myself. Oh, what stupendous folly I am guilty of. To choose sin's short and momentary pleasure at the dear price of everlasting pain. How often I was told it would be so. How often I was encouraged to leave those paths that brought me to these chambers of eternal death. 
But me, like a dumb animal, would not listen to those pleadings. Now it's too late to change it, for my eternal state is fixed forever. Why was I even made a person that I would choose such a fate? Why was I made with an immortal soul and yet should take so little care of it? Oh, how my own neglect stings me to death. And yet I know I cannot die. I live a dying life. Worse than 10,000 deaths. And yet I once could have changed all this, but I did not. Oh, that is the gnawing worm that never dies. I might once have been happy. Was offered to me. Salvation was offered to me, but I refused it. Had salvation been offered to me only once, it would have been unforgivable folly, but it was offered to me 10,000 times. And in America, how many times have people heard the gospel? I still often refuse it. Oh, cursed sin! with deluding pleasures that leads mankind to eternal ruin. God often called, but I often refused. He stretched out his hand, but I would not mind it. I ignored his counsel. How often I have refused his proof, his reproof. But now the scene has changed. The case is altered. Now he laughs at my calamity, mocks at my destruction which comes upon me. And so, if you don't believe God does that, read Proverbs chapter 1. Ch Proverbs chapter 1 describes this scene, okay? And so, I'm going to be giving you scriptures today that I would encourage you to get over and meditate over and let God make this real to you. If you know him, for the sake of others. If you don't know him, for the sake of your own soul. And my advice to you today was don't wait till tomorrow to respond to God at the end of this message. That's my advice to you. anyone today that you are not sure your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You are not sure where you are going to go when you are die. Please do not leave this building without responding to God. You have no idea the eternal mistake you can be making. Please, I implore you. The sufferings of hell. This is people in hell describing what it's like. We undergo a variety of torments. We are tormented here a thousand, no, ten thousand different ways. Those that suffer upon earth seldom have more than one affliction at a time. But if they had ulcers, gallstones, headaches, fever, all at the same time, they would think they were very miserable. Yet all those things are like a flea compared to the intolerable sharp pains that we endure. Our torments here are not only various, but they are complete they afflict every part of the body. Another part of our misery is the ceaselessness of our torments. In other words, it's continual. There's no rest in hell. There's no breaks. Scripture talks about that. 
It's continual. There's no sleep. Just continual pain and torment. The society or our company we have is another part of our misery. Tormenting devils and tormented souls are our company. Dreadful shrieks, howlings, fearful cursing, and our continual conversation because of the fierceness of our pain. And the worst of it really is, is that it will never end. After they've been there for a million years, it will be like a day in eternity. So that's one picture. The other thing I want to look at really is just some scriptures that are going to describe what I'm talking about. C.S. Lewis said this about hell. There is no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from, the Christ, from Christianity than, than this, if it lay in my power. Um, and it's the doctrine of hell. But it has the full support of Scripture, especially from our Lord's own words. And, and you know, I'll just say, I, I don't enjoy sharing what I shared yesterday, even though there was a lot of hope in it. But if I really didn't love those people, or if I really loved those people, I would tell them the truth, and I had to tell them the truth. The reality of hell, the reality of rejecting the hope that we have in the gospel. So God is not trying to scare us. He's not trying to be mean to us. He loves us so much that, you see, he's not like the devil The devil's a liar. The devil will tell you it is not so. The devil is telling you God wouldn't do that. The devil is telling you you're a good person. He might even be telling you hell isn't real. It's just symbolisms in Scripture. Well, then heaven is just symbols, symbolism. No, heaven is real and hell is real. So God loves you. So he tells you the truth. Jesus used the Valley of Hinnom near Jerusalem as an illustration of hell in Mark 9. And I would just encourage you to write these scriptures down because they're all going to be references you can go back to and read in the context of how it's describing this place. This valley is also called Gehenna, which was a public dump where garbage, dead animals, corpses of criminals, and all manner of uncleanness constantly burned. And he mentioned, Jesus spoke of hell as outer darkness. He mentioned fire in relation to hell at least 20 times. Jesus consistently contrasted hell with the kingdom of God. Hell is the only alternative to an eternity spent in God's kingdom. It is the opposite 
of perfect fellowship with God. Jesus taught that hell is a real place where beings will spend all of eternity. Matthew 23, 33. Matthew 25, verse 41. Mark 9, verse 43. Again, in Jesus' teaching, hell is not figurative or symbolic. It is a real place in which real experiences take place. Jesus portrayed what hell is like with vivid imagery such as fire and darkness. And those that are there are there because of rebellion. According to Jesus, hell is a place for those who reject God. Those who reject his kingship, refuse his grace. Jesus' parables constantly portray people rejecting God's invitation to fellowship. And that's what I think grieves my heart the most because I know when I'm preaching or I'm sharing something like I shared yesterday, that's not me. You understand, this is not me. Whenever God is speaking to you, whether it's through a preacher, whether it's through someone on the street, whether it's through circumstances, whether you're just reading your Bible, it's God pleading with you. It's God trying to reason with you, to be reconciled with him. It's God offering you the only hope that you have because he is passionately in love with you. But if you don't receive that love, just as passionately as he loves you, he will passionately hate you and destroy you. See, we don't like that, but it's true. He's not just love. He's also wrath. It, it talks about judgment. It talks about the fierceness of his wrath. Just as we hear about the fire of his love. So we can't do away with one and just focus on the other. That's, that's the ruin of hell that this merciful God that we deserve wrath from pleads with us to spare us from that wrath. Actually sent his son to take that wrath for us. So do you understand? That's where he chooses to love us in spite of the wrath we deserve. So what's left when you reject that? Nothing but his wrath. And that's what people will suffer for all of eternity, never to end. It's frightening to think about. Jesus does not portray hell as a pleasant place or a neutral state. To the contrary, it's a place of torment. We see that in Mark 9, 48. It's a dark place outside of God's kingdom and light. Hell is full of pain and regret. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 13, 42. Matthew 22, 13. Matthew 24, 51, Luke 13, 28. And like I said earlier, based on Jesus' teaching, not opinion, 
Hell is not temporary, it's eternal. It's eternal. Those who suffer in hell will suffer forever. The fire never goes out. Again, Mark 9.48, Matthew 25.46. And there's no exit from hell. There's no respite from it or comfort in it. And I couldn't help but thinking about um, the poor beggar Lazarus who begged day by day at the rich man's gate and the rich man died and he was in hell and he could see Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham. And it says there was a great gulf fixed between them. There's no way out. But yet, even in hell, he was pleading, telling them to go and tell his brothers so they don't suffer the same fate. And that's what I said yesterday. I said, if Lori was here right now, she would be pleading with you. It's true. It's true. Please listen. I didn't listen for so many years. Please listen to what God is saying to you today. Every person that has entered eternity is crying that out, especially those in hell. Thank God, God made a way for us to be reconciled. There would be no hope for us. So I'm just going to share a little bit what I shared yesterday. Uh, Someone said to me in the back yesterday, well, you should just share, oh, Patrick, maybe, you should share what you shared today. I'm like, well, I hope everyone in our church is saved, that they don't have to hear this, but maybe we do need to hear it to remind us, but I believe there's others here that need to hear it. So, Matthew 16, verse 26, says this. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world? And loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So think about that. There's two things we can't avoid death and judgment. Hebrews 9.27 says, As it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So, as I'm sharing today, about hell and death. The Bible actually says this about death, okay? It says in Ecclesiastes 7.2, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. So it's not morbid necessarily to think about these things. It's just, it's good to remind ourselves And then for people that don't know the Lord, it's really better for them to be in a house of mourning because it will make them think about their soul and where they are headed for eternity. But I think for me as well, whenever I have to do a funeral, it it kind of reminds me, it kind of shakes me out of the dullness that just happens to all of us 
because we lose sight of the reality of eternity, the reality of souls that are perishing all around us. And then we have a funeral or something happens and we're reminded of the fleetingness of life and just the reality that at any moment, I can be in eternity. You can be in eternity. And so we take it to heart. And my prayer is that we're taking it to heart today. All of us. However, we need to do that. So I'm going to pray this prayer in Psalm 39, verse 4. Lord, help us all here today to know our end. God, help us to know what the measure of our days are, that we may know how frail we really are. Lord, you have made our days like handbreadths. Our age is nothing before you. Every man at his best state is just a vapor. Every man walks about like a shadow. Lord, so many times we busy ourselves in vain for nothing. We heap up riches and we don't know who's going to gather them. Lord, help us to know what we should wait for and hope in, Lord. Help us say like the psalmist, Lord, my hope is in you. There is no hope in this life. If in this life, like it says in Corinthians 15, was the only hope we have. We're pitied. We should be pitied. So Lord, help us to live in the reality of the hope you've given us, Lord. You made a way for us. You made a way for souls to be rescued, Lord. Open our eyes to the reality of that, I pray, Lord. And so I asked a question, and the thought came, you know, how we, we plan our lives. We plan for retirement. We plan ahead. Nothing wrong with doing that, but it's just natural to do that. I guess it's responsible, right? We're taught that growing up, you know, store up for the future. Make sure you provide for the future. So we make our earthly plans, but yet in a moment, that can all change. We think about the man Jesus talked about that, that got all his riches together and he built more barns and he stored up all his goods and he thought, ah, now I could take my ease. Now I can enjoy life. And, and, and the Lord spoke to him, you fool. Tonight your soul is required of you. See, a fool focuses on the now. So how are we planning for eternity? How are you planning for eternity? Have you considered your eternity and where you are going? Not according to men's opinions, but according to Scripture. Because, like I said yesterday, there's no good people in heaven. There's no good things you can do to outweigh somehow the bad things you've done in life to get you into heaven. There's no church attendance that can get you into heaven. 
There's, there's nothing that can get you into heaven except a heartfelt repentance, an acknowledgement. Just like I shared yesterday, that thief on the cross. You know how he made it to heaven? It definitely wasn't good works. It definitely wasn't his church attendance. No, he acknowledged, I'm guilty. I deserve this. I deserve wrath. I deserve what I'm getting. I understand what I am. And I also know who he is. And he's my only hope. And that's why he turned to Jesus. And he said to him on that cross, remember me. Remember me. And Jesus looked at him and said, today you will be with me in paradise. And it was because of that blood that was dripping down the body of Jesus onto the ground. It was because of that body that was laying on that cross that was taking the wrath of that sinner that turned to him. But yet on the other side was another man hurling insults till his last breath. What was it like for the one thief that turned to Jesus when he died? What was it like for the one that died cursing God with his last breath? That is the reality of souls and what they do with Jesus. We need an eternal mindset. We need to understand that we have been created to live for all eternity. And we're going to live for all of eternity in one place or another. Ecclesiastes says God's written eternity in our hearts. The second death really is just living a life separated from the life of God. It's just nothing but darkness and torment. That's what hell is. It's a second death. We were made for God. Heaven is just being full of his life and his presence. And like we heard last week, hell is the total opposite of that. In heaven, there's no pain, there's joy. There's no sickness. There's no more crying. Nothing but joy, nothing but worship and, and, and delighting in God. Hell is the total opposite of that. It's the total absence of God. It's evil in its fullest. See, we don't understand that. We see evil. When, when I look at what um, the terrorists did to the, to the uh, Israeli people on October 7th, and, and just the things that are done all over the world, and, and we look at it and we say, that's evil, but yet God is still restraining that. Man is not given over to really let go of what the evil that is really in him. God restrains it, and if he didn't restrain it, this would be hell on earth. It's not, really. Hell is a lot worse because there's no restraints on evil. That needs to be real to us. That's why my heart breaks for people. Because, uh, you know, they say, oh, man, I'm already in hell. No, you're not. 
You have no idea. This is nothing. This is a walk in the park compared to hell. And God, in his mercy, cries out to you. And he wants to cry out through us to them. Paul said, it's as though Christ were pleading through me. Be reconciled to God. That should be the testimony of every believer. If this is real to us, if the reality of souls is real to us, that should be the burden we carry because that's God's burden. And he wants our vessels to be Jesus pleading, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Make peace with God before it's too late. Whatever that looks like for your life, for my life. For me, it's here. It's at the counseling center. It's when I'm out and about. However that looks like, God wants to use your life to be a light in this dark world. Because he places a high value on souls. God sent his son not to condemn, but to save sinners. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to finish with a plea. If there's anyone here, you've heard the gospel. You've heard it maybe a hundred times. Please, don't walk out that door without repenting and confessing your sins to God and crying out to him for mercy. And his promise is, if you will do that, he will cleanse you. He will forgive you from all unrighteousness. And he will give you life, meaning his spirit will come and live inside of you. That's what it means to be born again. And you'll be alive. And you'll have the living hope that we talked about last week. And you won't have to fear death because you'll know where you're going. I almost feel like I don't need to explain this, but I'm going to explain it anyway. Um, Jesus said, I'm sorry, and James said in James 2, 19, verse 20, he said, you believe there is one God, you do well. So don't tell me you believe in God. That's not what it means to be saved. Even the demons believe and tremble. Do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? In other words, we have to respond to what we're saying we believe. And, you know, like I said earlier, we're not saved by works, okay? We're not. The works just show that we believe what we say we believe. That's all. Like I said, the thief on the cross believed, and he acted on it. He acknowledged, I'm guilty. 
There's no hope for me. You're my only hope. Remember me. That was repentance. It was a change of mind. Because earlier in Matthew's account, he was also insulting Jesus and hurling insults. So he changed his mind. That's what repentance means. It means, I get it. I've been wrong. You know what? I am guilty. God, you're right. And I'm acknowledging that. Lord, I want to repent. I've been wrong. Lord, I have sinned against you. I have rebelled against you. God, forgive me. Have mercy on me. And when you understand the free gift and the cleansing and that he paid and takes your sin, of course, the, the proper response is, I, I surrender. My life is yours now. You are my Lord. That's what it means to respond to Jesus. So, I beseech you by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what, the, what that good, acceptable, perfect will of God is. So I'm going to ask Brian to come up. I'm going to ask us to stand. And we're going to have a time of worship again. But I do want to ask if there's anyone here. You want to give your life to God today. Don't worry about what that looks like, what it necessarily means. If God is speaking to you and you know that you know that you know you're not right with him, please do not walk out this door. If you're online listening, please do not just shut this off and try to suppress it somehow. You might not have tomorrow. You might not have tonight. Today is the day of salvation. Actually, right now is the time of salvation. So if God is speaking to you, just walk up this aisle. If you're online, just get on your knees and say, God, I'm coming to you. I hear you. And today I am responding to you, Lord. Have mercy, Lord. Have mercy, Lord. Have mercy, Lord. Have mercy, Lord. I read a sermon last night. It's called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It was preached in like 1730-something. It was actually a man that preached that. It was the beginning of a great awakening in this country. And he basically talked about hell and just the reality of our lives, how they're just hanging on a thread. And, and it's just the mercy of God that we're, we're still breathing. And that if God removed his hand, we would instantly, 
be in eternity. And, and it was said that people would literally grab onto pews because they felt as though hell was opening up under them. And they would cry out, God, have mercy on me. That's what we need. Please do not harden your hearts. Cry out to him. Step out of that comfort zone. Don't let pride, pride is what damned the devil. Pride is what damned souls. You have to humble yourself. Because one day you're going to stand before him and it's not going to matter what anybody thinks, only what God knows. So if there's anything in you, if there's conviction, if your heart's pounding, that's God. And you just need to step out. And when you step out, you're humbling yourself. And God will meet you if you do that. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So you just need to humble yourself. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Have mercy. Have mercy, Lord. Have mercy, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you know where everyone's at in this room, online. I've been obedient to you, Lord. And Holy Spirit, I pray you will lay your hand upon every heart that does not know you. Lord, I pray you would not give them rest. For those that are responding, Lord, I pray, God, as they confess, as they look to you, just like that thief, Lord, they would know the, the freedom, the, the, the sense of that weight being lifted off, Lord, the reality of you taking their sin upon yourself and cleansing them and washing them and filling them with your spirit, Lord. So God, I pray right now for any responding to you, God, that you would come and take your rightful place in their lives. I pray, oh God, that you would save them to the uttermost, Lord. Not a half salvation, not a little. Lord, to the uttermost, that's how you save people, to the uttermost. And Lord, so I pray for a complete, utter salvation in everyone that is responding to you today, Lord, that will not fade away, God. I'm trusting you to do that, Lord. So I thank you, God. And Lord, I pray for us as a body. I pray for us who know you, Lord. God, I pray you will open our hearts, God. Help us to understand a little better, just as you do, the reality of eternity, the reality of souls that are perishing all around us. God, I pray you will stir this body. I pray you will stir our hearts, Lord. I pray, God, you will give us your burden. God, I pray you will cause us to begin to weep over souls as you do, Lord. I pray, oh God, you would disturb us. We need to be disturbed, Lord, about the souls that are dying all around us every minute. 
God, you have to do it, Lord. I'm asking you to do it. We can't muster this up in ourselves, Lord. So God, I'm asking you, God, to do it, Lord, so that we can live our lives to the fullest for you, God, so that we can give ourselves to you for the sake of others, Lord, so that we won't waste our time and our resources on things that don't matter, God. We would be faithful laborers in your vineyard, Lord. We would be able to rejoice with heaven as souls come into your kingdom, Lord, are rescued from the fires of hell. So God, I'm asking you to do a work in us, Lord, that only you can do, God. And I thank you and I trust you to do it. In Jesus' name.